Hello there and welcome back to a new teaching message. My name is Edward Seredu and today we are going to talk about falling away from the living God based on Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 to 14. We will begin the message today by reading first the passage from where we are going to be teaching and that is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, but you are welcome to use any English translation that you have available. Let's read it together. Verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. This is the passage that we are going to explain because a lot of Christians read and understand the, this passage in the following way. Brethren, reduce the sins in your life as much as possible and keep them at a minimum level until the end so that you will not lose your salvation from hell by any chance. And in a nutshell, this interpretation implies that born-again believers are in danger of being cut off from salvation by God himself without notice at any and at any time, if they exaggerate in doing sinful deeds or do not watch out. And the purpose of this message is to prove that this passage and the falling away or the departing depicted here in this passage does not talk about the possibility of born-again believers ever losing their salvation because of sinning. Instead, it deals, this passage, as we will see, it deals with another kind of separation from the living God. And we will see what kind of separation. But before that, let's talk about what are the few problems that the general interpretation that we just uh, mentioned introduces if we interpret this passage as uh, be careful, reduce your sins so that you will not lose your salvation. So try to keep the level of sinning at minimum so that you won't lose your salvation. If, if we take that interpretation and we suppose for a moment that it is possible for believers in Christ to lose their salvation through sin, then this presupposition introduces a number of problems. The first problem is how many sins are necessary to make us lose our salvation? There has to be a number of sin after which God says, okay, that's enough. You're done. But the Bible doesn't mention anything like that. We don't know how many sins are necessary or how many sins will take us over the point of no return. The second problem that I see with this interpretation is when, uh, usually when we think about sin, we mostly think about big and immoral, sinful deeds like sexual deeds or greed, money, I don't know, the big external sins. But what about other day-to-day -day sins that we're not even aware of, like gluttony, like not loving God or our spouse as much as God loves? Or what about sins of omission? There are so many of them. When we're, we should do some good and we don't do it, those are sins. Are not these sins capable of making us lose our salvation anytime? 
Of course they are. Sin is sin, right? So this is another problem that I see with this, uh, with this interpretation because no matter how careful we are, no matter how, uh, how we keep the level of sinning at minimum in our lives, we will never be able to keep all sins out of our lives as long as we're on this earth. So, we, but, um, so considering this, we should lose salvation all the time, right? The third problem that I see with this interpretation is that if our salvation depends on our level of holiness, what does that mean? Does not that mean that we are adding our works, our good works to the sacrifice of Jesus as a condition for maintaining our salvation? What do we do then with Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 to 14, where it shows clearly that believers past, present, and future sins are all remitted at the moment of salvation? So that's the third problem that I see. I, the fourth one is the following. Once we lost our salvation, let's suppose we can lose our salvation. Can we get it back? If we can get it back, then that would entail uh, getting baptized in water again and getting baptized with the Holy Spirit again. And that process cannot be found anywhere in the Bible. We don't see anywhere in the Bible twice believers rebaptized in water and rebaptized with the Holy Spirit. The fifth problem that I see here, in case we cannot get salvation back, we lost it and we cannot get it back. How do we know when we crossed the point of no return? Is there such a deciding and specific point? If indeed we can lose our salvation, how come this process is not described in detail nowhere in the Bible? How can we know when we lost it? Because this is not a trivial issue. It's, it's a matter of life and death. And most Christians, including myself, I would like to know about this. And the Bible should have definitely covered it. But it does not. The Bible doesn't say anything about this. The Gospels and the Epistles mention very clear how we can be saved and when is the exact moment when we can know for sure that we have been saved. And that is explained in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Very clear, plain and clear. But there's no mention anywhere clearly when, when we can know that we are fallen away from salvation, right? So that's the fifth problem. These are kind of the problems that I found with the general interpretation of this passage. And this is kind of a controversial and difficult passage to explain. So that's why I took the time to make this message. Now, let's move on to a second point. We, we saw what are the problems if we go with a normal interpretation. But what does Hebrews 3.12 actually mean? And in light of, the above, uh, of this uh, presupposition that we just did, the falling away depicted in this passage must mean something else than losing our eternal salvation. And we, could see, we can see if we read the whole chapter, the prior verses quoted from Psalm 95 warn Israel not to repeat their mistakes in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, if we remember, Israel lost faith in God. They gave in to fear just before getting into the promised land. Uh, when the, the people, those 12 people that were sent to, to, 
checked the land, they came back, and they didn't believe. They gave in to fear, to the fear of giants. And that led to disobedience and stubbornness. In other words, they did not hold fast. And as a result, that generation was not allowed to enter into the promised land. However, God did not send Israel back into slavery in Egypt as a punishment. And I want to say it again. God didn't send Israel back into slavery in Egypt. Here, the application of the psalm is made explicit. The Israelites' lack of trust caused them to fall away from God, and this resulted in them not enjoying the benefits of the promised land, right? The author of Hebrews is warning here the Jewish Christians who read these words not to make the same mistake as they did it before in the wilderness. And the context makes it clear that uh, that, salvation is, uh, that salvation is not at stake. The promised land, and I, I want to say a few things about the promised land. The promised land is not a metaphor for heaven. A lot of Christians Look at the promised land as being heaven, but it's not heaven. Israel's rescue from Egypt is a, is a symbol of salvation. Egypt is seen as hell or the lo, uh, as a state of lost. And uh, Israel's rescue from Egypt for us is a symbol of our salvation from hell into, into eternal life. God's wrath against the Jewish people in the wilderness was not to send them was not manifested by sending them back to Egypt, which for us would symbolize a return to an unsaved state. Rather, it was to deny them the blessings of the promised inheritance. So the blessings of the promised land were denied to them, and he did not send them back to Egypt. Yes, they, they went into the wilderness for 40 years, but they did, didn't go back into slavery. So parts of chapter 4 will further support the idea that the author of Hebrews is speaking of sin in the life of a saved believer, but not about the potential loss of salvation. Now, the, uh, let's talk about the promised land for the new creation. What is the promised land for the new creation in Christ? The promised land for the new creation in Christ is not the future new heaven and the new earth. We will have that as well. But it does not refer, if we do a, um, a, an extrapolation from Old Testament to the New Testament, the promised land is not the future heaven and earth, but it is rather all the benefits of the, of the extraordinary inheritance won at the cross by Jesus, applied, lived, and enjoyed here on earth. Christians tend to think only about the future and look at the hope of the new life after death and try to endure here on earth. But the gospel gives us an inheritance for here on earth to be lived and applied before we get to heaven. What is this inheritance? What does this inheritance consist of? It consists of freedom from condemnation of sin. It consists of the gift of righteousness, of walking in righteousness, physical healing here on earth, prosperity, holiness, love, joy, wisdom, and peace and rest. All these are part of our inheritance to be lived here on earth. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will not be any giants to slay by faith. 
the giants of sickness, of poverty, of failure, of depression, of condemnation, hate, anger, they are here on earth with us right now. And, and we are supposed to defeat those and slain those while we are here on earth to destroy these works of darkness. And the gospel of salvation has two parts. The first part is a, a lesser negative part, which means forgiveness of sins and escaping from hell for eternity. That's the lesser part. And there's a second part, a greater part, and a positive part, which is the spiritual life from the eternal realm into the everyday life here on earth. That's the greater and the positive part of salvation. But the Bible says, I think in John 17, 3, that eternal life is to know God and to know him intimately, to enjoy him intimately. The lesser part is just a means to an end. The lesser is included in the greater. So that uh, escaping from hell is not the main part. So why do we focus on that? And like fear that we're going back to hell, we are going, we lose our salvation. Why do we fear that so much when we should fear more not enjoying what God has given us, intimacy with him, life, eternal, uh, eternal life from the realm of eternity into this, uh, into our life here on earth that we can enjoy right now. Any sin has some natural pleasure in it. Sin is pleasurable. That's why it's tempting. And that's, that's a fact. However, the pleasure that sin brings is deceitful because it brings with it spiritual death. And when we sin immediately, the moment we sin, in our minds, even as a Christians, a gap and a separation is created between us and our loving God. And that is not the reality in the spirit, but it is just in our minds. All of a sudden, we see God upset with us and we cannot expect, we feel like we cannot expect him to do anything for us anymore since we wronged him. And as a result, we do not even dare to ask for anything in faith anymore. And we are slowly, and probably many of you, are experiencing that day to day or if you have been experiencing for some time. When we sin, we are slowly dragged into condemnation. We feel that we, we confuse that many times with, with uh, conviction, but that's not conviction from the Holy Spirit. We are dragged into condemnation and into a mentality of the law and works because of our conscience, which needs to be washed and adjusted to the reality that is in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't convince us of sin. The Bible says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, after salvation, convinces us of righteousness, not of sin. The Holy Spirit convinces the world, convinces the world of sin, but believers of righteousness. So when you sin, it's not the Holy Spirit telling you that you did wrong. It's your conscience that's so accustomed to the way to the way the world thinks but in the spirit you are not condemned in the spirit the holy spirit doesn't tell you that you're wrong because your sin was already taken away your past present and future sins were already remitted uh, by jesus's sacrifice so our conscience condemns us and if we look at the bigger context of the whole book of hebrews we can notice that the entire book is one of contrast and comparisons. It compares the new things in Christ with, uh, um, 
with, with the old ones. It shows how Jesus Christ is superior to the fathers and prophets of the old. Uh, that We see that in chapter 1. Then we see how he is superior to the angels, chapter 2. Superior to Moses, chapter 3, who represented the law and the works. And then superior to Joshua in chapter 4. And finally superior to the Levitical priesthood in chapter 5 in which the priests offered sacrifices day in and day out in the temple. And from a, a, a historical standpoint, the early church was made up of mainly Christian Jewish believers. And this, these Jewish believers believed in Jesus the Christ as Messiah, as the Messiah, but they had just come out of centuries of their families being steeped in the traditions of going to the Jewish temple to get their sins covered again and again in the, on the Holy Day of Atonement. And they were used to offering all these sacrifices, all these ongoing sacrifices, repeated sacrifices. And as a consequence, they had a tendency of falling away Again, this expression, falling away from the simple salvation by faith to salvation through law and works. That didn't mean falling away like losing your salvation, but in their mind, in their practice, in their life, they were thinking about themselves being saved by the law and works. And they didn't enjoy the bed because faith was, was annihilated. They didn't enjoy the benefits of the salvation by faith. So when we sin... What, what, does, uh, what, what happens? A falling away and a separation happens in our minds between us and the living God. We think that we are separated that, uh, from him and from his great love. And that separation, what does it do? It affects our practical lives and kills our faith in all areas of life. And as a result... The access to the inheritance of spiritual life, which means healings, prosperity, peace, victory, success, that lays, that is in us, in Christ Jesus, in the spiritual, uh, in the spiritual realm, is cut off. Our access is cut off, and we can no longer enjoy those benefits in the material world, in the physical world. They remain in the spiritual. And it is not because God cut the access. But we cut ourselves off through unbelief that was caused by sin. So sin does not make God angry anymore in the New Testament. Now, God hates sin, but it does not make, our sin does not make him angry on us because of Christ's sacrifice. He can no longer be angry on us. He was angry on Christ, on Jesus Christ at the cross. So he hates sin, but he doesn't hate us anymore. He doesn't, he's not angry on us uh, he's not offended anymore. He's grieving out of love because he's sad to see uh, us destroying ourselves through sin. He sees death in sin, how death destroys us. So he's grieved, but he's not offended. Uh, and, it, uh, and sin brings spiritual and physical death to us. We are the ones that are losing when we sin. We always think about God, oh, I upset God, I, I offended God. Uh, and we don't think about what sin does to us. God can no longer be offended by our sin, can no longer condemn us for our sins because he condemned Jesus Christ. But we affect our faith. It's death. We play with death when we sin. And we, and we uh, cut short our access uh, to, to peace, to joy, to life uh, in the 
in the physical realm. So sin does not make God angry. And it's like a vicious cycle. The more we sin, the less we accept, feel, and experience the unconditional love of God in our lives. And the more we sin, the less faith we have. And the more we try to measure up to the standard of God through our holy works. So the more we sin, the more we want to measure up to the standard of God through our holy works. The more we try to do better, the more we try to be better. Uh, The more we sin, the more we feel the need to be better. And we fail miserably. It's like a vicious cycle. And we keep ourselves in that vicious cycle, condemning ourselves, trying more and then fail and then try again. And that happens all the time because of the death that sin brings. So when we hold fast and firm to the initial assurance of faith, we begin to reign now in life from the spiritual realm into the material world. And we begin to actualize here on earth what it means to be partakers of Christ or partakers of the divine nature. So to summarize, what this falling away, uh, what this passage from Hebrew talks when it mentions falling away from God, it does not talk about losing our salvation, but it talks about losing our ability to, to live in the life, spiritual life that God has brought through the gospel here on earth. We live defeated lives, condemned lives, lack of peace, sickness, poverty. We don't have faith to 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 for for those to have those things in our lives, and uh, we don't destroy anymore the works of darkness in our lives and in the lives of others. So we and the, this falling away happens in our minds, and that it, it's not in the spirit. The reality of the spirit is that we are still. Uh, the 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 children of God, but in our minds we see ourselves separated, and we and because of of that what we think, because of that thinking in our minds, our actions follow, our behaviors follow, and so we get more into sin, and we more we fall away more from the presence of God, from the benefit from the benefits that the, the gospel has brought in Christ. I hope you enjoyed this explanation and that it brought freedom to your life. Uh, that's the whole purpose of this ministry, to bring more understanding to to the Christians from a perspective of grace and of the new creation and to free Christians of any fear, condemnation, any bondage. Uh, and especially uh, it has to do with our thinking, changing our thinking and renewing our minds to what God has brought through salvation, through the gospel in Jesus Christ. Uh, May God bless you. And uh, until we meet again, I pray that God would uh, uh, free you even more, would help you to remove all this this wrong thinking uh, from your mind that you might have had uh, based on this passage. And if you enjoy this kind of teaching, we invite you to visit our website, uh, eseredduke.com, where you can find more materials Uh, 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 teaching materials about life and about the new creation. May God bless you. Amen.